Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. How's it going, pal? Any crack? Story, kid. I'd murder about pens. Ah, lads, I'm in a bleeding bojangle. Ah, Jesus. Are you messing? Get up out of that. Don't be acting the maggot. He's some dust. He's bleeding massive. He's some shaber. Ah, yeah. He's your aunt. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the last episode of season three of Tis Yourself and Tis Myself, Nicola Barden. And thank you so, so much for joining me on this last episode of season three. It's been insane. Been so busy, so crazy. Just can't believe three seasons, three seasons since I launched last year on Paddy's Weekend in 2021. Who would have believed I'd still be going all this time later? Not me. Not me. Anyway, but it's brilliant. And I'm so happy that you're here for the first or the seventh or the 50th time, whatever it is. The reason that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Just saying you're fair sound. Now, I have an exciting guest for you today. Okay, so season one, season two, we both had we had an American actor on both seasons. So season one, Jerry O'Connell was here chatting all about, um, you know, all his movies, everything. Stand By Me, he was talking about um, Jerry Maguire, all those kind of stuff, all the big ones that, you know, everybody loves Jerry O'Connell. He's talking about his connections to Cork, the whole lot, right? Season two, that was the end of season one. So it left off with an American actor. Started season two with an American actor. And that, of course, was Orja Mitty from Breaking Bad, who plays Walt Jr. If you loved... Breaking Bad, you knew I like that is like that was unbelievable. Like that was so class. And you know, to know that like this guy starred with Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, man. He got to be Walt Jr., Walter White Jr. So it was really cool to talk to him all about representing disabilities on screen and everything like that. And then the rest of the guests we've kind of had have been UK and Irish, um, a lot of them. So obviously we're getting loads of Irish, being that it's an Irish podcast, and have had amazing guests just recently. James Patrice, Yuanda Bayala, we've had Janie Macri. I'm just thinking of the top of my head. The Nolans we've had, um, Adele Lynch from Bewitched. These are just top of my head. We've had amazing UK acts. We've had Sarah Jane Dunn, uh, who's from Hollyoaks. We've had Matt Cardle, Shane Ward. List goes on, list goes on. You can scroll through, find them. So I didn't start this season with an American actor, so I'm ending it. And... Oh my God, can't breathe. So excited. Teenage me and me during lockdown is inwardly screaming over this. Okay, my next guest. Right. Let's just list out some of the shows that he has been in. Okay. Here we go. He has been in How I Met Your Mother. He's been in Transparent. He's been in Bones. He has been in Nip Tuck. He has been in Angel and he has been in Buffy. 
Buffy, Buffy, Buffy. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I love Buffy since I was a teenager. I'm obsessed with Spike. James Marsters. I just love you if you ever hear this. Love, love, love you. I got my friend Amy a cameo video from James Masters for her birthday last year. Wanted one for myself. Just kind of thinking about doing that for myself. Then I thought maybe someone will do it for me. They did not. <laughs> that, but I love Buffy. And obviously as a teenager, I watched it as the episodes came out day by day. That's fine. Um, but during lockdown, I rewatched it. And I kind of remembered that I loved Angel when I was watching it. Mm-mm-mm. It's all about Spike. All about Spike. Let's just forget that season, that episode in season six where he goes back evil for a few minutes and, you know, tries to... No, we won't remember that. But I forgot how funny Buffy can be. And majority of that in the last couple of seasons was due to my guest. So Tom Link, who played Andrew, one of the trio. You remember there was Warren, Jonathan and Andrew. And Andrew was the one that outlived them all and got to be part of the Scooby gang, Polot. And then he went on to be an angel and he became a watcher. So I was asked, did I want to chat to him about his new show that's coming to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? And I was like, no, 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 I don't, a guy from Buffy. No, 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 I just will might die. <laughs> so apologies in advance if I fangirl the shit out of this episode. But you know what? I'm doing it for you, Buffy fans. Grr, arg. Here's my chat with Tom Link. I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hello. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm in advance. I have to warn. I don't know what happened to my hair, but I had a shower and washed it just before I spoke to you. And now it's come out like the beast from Beauty and the Beast. It's just gone giant. So apologies. Oh, no worries. It looks great. Um, I showered and didn't have time to do my hair. So I'm just like, I'm just wearing a hat. I'm just, yeah. just couldn't deal with it today. Well, it looks cute on you. I only discovered this when I turned on the Zoom and I was like, wow, there you are, beast. Uh, that's great. <laughs> well listen i've already started recording so i'm gonna get stuck in because i have so much to chat to you about but first of all thank you for being here yes thank you for having me can i ask have you been to ireland before have to start off and ask that because i know you're coming to scotland but have you been to ireland no i've i've not been to ireland i um what city are you based in? Dublin. Dublin. Oh, I'm so mad. I've um, The closest I've been is Northern Ireland uh, to Belfast. Um, so I got to get back. I, we, we, have, we had Dublin on our, dream, on our dream list for cities we wanted to take the Tilda Swinton play. I do a play called Tilda Swinton Answers and Add on Craigslist, which we just brought back here in Los Angeles this past weekend. Um, and we kind of just been just deciding to go to cities where we just like, we took it to the fringe cause we all had wanted to go to the fringe in Edinburgh. And then we're like, what about, is there a festival in London we could take it to? So I think Dublin might be, um, next on our list. Yes. Cause we have a fringe festival. It's usually in September, I think. So maybe next year you could come over. Hmm. Okay. Noted. Note it. Seeds planted. Boom. My job is done. <laughs> but also, I haven't been to Ireland, but can I? I just want to move. I'm ready. I'm ready to move there if, some, if someone will marry me. I'm ready. Oh, I've got plenty of person to marry you. Listen, I'll get them lined up for you. I'll have them meeting you in Dublin Airport. 
Thank you. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, tell me that for <laughs> I would love that. Just, um, yes. No, 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 yes. No, 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 yes. No, no, yes. No, no, yes. 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 When I hear the yes, then I'll know it's the one. That's the guy. <laughs> I was quoting um, Madeline Kahn from, what's that movie? History of the World? Something. Anyway. Anyway, your voice is beautiful. So... More of that. Feel free. Um, you're so you're coming over to Edinburgh for the Fringe, which is next month, which is August. Um, you've been here before. You went there before, though, didn't you? With the Tilda play. I've been there twice with Tilda. Um, I also did my solo show there last time, and then I was there originally in 2011. I just did like a one night only, but was there for a couple weeks and filmed it and made a documentary out of it. And I had deeply regretted not just being there and performing every day. So, um, Yeah, but then you get to go around and see other things and try and figure out what the Scottish are saying to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that, yeah, I do love it there. It just, um, I think because I grew up here in Southern California, um, and maybe it's the pandemic speaking, but... I just was like, if I have to deal with one more sunny day, I'm going to lose my mind. My friend Todd has a theory that, um, that was that seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. It's like when they need more light, he's like, I think you can get it in reverse. Like, and I agree with this because like, I, there's this annoying pressure that I feel when it's sunny outside I have to go be productive or do something with my day that I don't feel when it's raining and when it's raining here in California which is not that often I just feel like I can curl up and not beat myself up about not being productive I could just do nothing so I feel like I feel like the UK it's maybe Scottish weather just beckons to me because I can just not feel bad oh yeah that's our lives people are like you know Ireland the UK they're like it rains there a lot and you're like yes but we don't have to do much you know the Americans <laughs> you're always running we're like mm, oh don't no, I'm not, no I don't th- I don't want to say that you're, I just I don't want to be um maybe it is an American thing of like gotta get work done I mean, you guys get work done, but you also appreciate your downtime. And I don't think we have that. It's not healthy here in America, our relationship with work and um, climbing the, the, kind of the, the reason I, there was one thing I did enjoy about the pandemic, which was I, the pressure to not be successful and to not, you have to book anything and so much yeah. of that. In Los Angeles, so much of our self-worth is wrapped up in what are you working on? What TV show are you on? I'm like, great. I've leveled the playing field. I've brought everyone down to my down to the level of an unemployed actor. And it feels wonderful. Yeah, well, so, you know, if Brad Pitt is not working, you can say that as well. I'm on the same level as Brad right I'm now. Saying, I've leveled up. I've leveled up to Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. Love that. How long are you acting now? Like, were you a child actor or like what age did you start? I, I've been doing it since I was a kid, but not professionally. Mm-hmm. I lived just far enough away from Los Angeles to where, and both of my parents worked and we did not, we were, 
I'd say on the, on the, we're kind of poor. So there was no, um, like I didn't have anyone that could take the day off of work to drive me to an, you know, an hour into or 45 minutes into Los Angeles to take me to an audition. So even though I wanted to, like I was dying to just like, you know, I'd see those kids on commercials and I would be dissecting their performances. Like I could do that better. Um, so I just, I did community theater and that kind of, and, you know, and high school performance, all that stuff uh, until I could start, you know, working professionally. I think it's funny because we all start, we all imagine that if you live near LA, you go to like the high school musical school where everyone just sings and dances all the time on the tables. Oh my God. Okay. Well, there was one. There's the like Los Angeles County High School for the Performing Arts, which was an hour away. So I I guess I could have applied. But sadly, when I grew up, um, like in the the 80s, California had just because of budgets, whatever, got rid of all of their performing arts programs, like music departments, drama departments. So my high school, well, also specifically my, the drama teacher at my high school had been, um, I think, fired for um, inappropriate conduct. So (laughs) instead of, right before I got there, so instead of hiring a new teacher, they just decided, okay, cool, done. We don't need a drama department. And so, and like my marching band, I was a big band nerd. We only had, when I got there freshman year, there was maybe 25 of us in the marching band, whereas like most high schools in America have 200 kids in their marching band. So I arrived, I just, I I was in California for like the, the worst time ever for the performing arts. And California high schools, well, Southern California, they all are like, there's one high school here in Los Angeles where they film a lot of the movies like Pretty in Pink that looks like an East Coast classic American high school like Bricks, you know, two, three stories. Most high schools in California are these ones that were built in the 60s. Like everything is a flat box. <laughs> the schools are meant to be outdoors. And so like when it would rain in high school, you just kind of sat in the hallways um, cause you didn't have anywhere to go because you ate lunch outside normally, or you'd I'd hide in the band room. So anyway, I went to crap public school, with <laughs> terrible performing arts, but in some ways I appreciate it because I really, I really did get to be big fish in a little pond because I ended up running the, th- the youth theater in my town and I was a full on theater tyrant. I-, I was out of control and I thought, <laughs> I had such a false sense of skill and success. Turns out I was just the one of a few boys that wanted to act in my town. Like it was, it was predominantly a, a woman's game. Um, and so, yeah, I just, whatever. I was annoying and obnoxious. Um, <laughs> but Hey, it stood to you. You know, it's not like you were annoying and then you went to work at like Dairy Queen for the rest of your life. And they're like, man, you're still trying to whip them into shape as you like pour the milkshakes. Um, no shade to people who work at Dairy Queen. Um, I enjoy their uh, service to the community. Um, but I, yeah, I um, I did feel like there, I had something to offer. It is interesting that, um, you know, I did think I was going to grow up into 
in high school, I still thought like, oh, well, I'll become a real Pinocchio syndrome. I'll become a real boy one day, a real man. I'll be six feet tall. I'll be playing the lead in Phantom of the Opera. I'll be playing the Phantom. And um, that was not in the cards for me. So I, I did have a false um, sense of confidence back then that I no longer have. I, I wish I had. But it's interesting that someone just goes out into the world thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to become... I went to, I, I, um, went to drama school at um, UCLA here in Los Angeles. Uh, great theater program. Um, but it's funny to like go to theater school thinking like, oh, yeah, they'll just be parts for me. Like, what makes you think there's going to... You're putting a lot of trust in the universe. You know, you go to law school, you know there's a demand for lawyers, but like acting like will there be a demand for mm-hmm. especially in LA because everybody you meet is somehow connected to the industry no matter what job they're they're working in the bank but they're like here's my CV <laughs> here's my CV well, and also like there's a lot of demand for gorgeous people the demand for not gorgeous people isn't great so <laughs> it was a lot of um it's putting a lot of trust in the universe back then, I guess. Well, you were in the gorgeous person category, so you didn't have to worry about that. Oh, how dare you? Stop. You were there and you're like, look at me. I'm so cute. Hire me. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> no. Well, also, like, when you are in real life, you're two steps down on TV. Oh, um, yeah. So is it true that the whole idea of this camera adding 10 pounds kind of thing, is that a true thing? I don't know about that, but, like, my friend uh, Jim Rash, who has, a, has an Oscar for writing the movie Descendants, and he was on the TV show Community. Um, he has a infamous I love story. him in Community, by the way, because I love Community. Great show. Um, this I gotta ask him about this, but I, but he told a friend of mine. It's a slightly a bit of a game of telephone, but I'll tell the story anyway. He wrote him and Nat Faxon. I think they wrote a pilot, I think it was called Adopted or something. And it was about, because I think Jim, Jim's adopted. And it was kind of his, you know, his story. Hmm. And he was a very successful actor at the time as well. And I feel like this movie was for NBC or something. And he, um, he wanted to see if he could audition to play himself, essentially. Um, and you know, they've been already seeing like celebrities and famous people and, and some executive there said to him, Oh no, no, we, um, you don't really, we don't really see you as fitting the character and said, what do you mean? It's like, it's my story and I'm an actor and I am, you know, he's a funny guy. It's a comedy. And they said, well, you know, we really... You really see this as more of a of a um, of a TV cute role. And said TV cute. What is? <gasps> I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story here, but TV cute. And um, it's like, what do you what do you mean TV cute? And she's like, well, you know, TV cute. There's there's a uh, TV model, TV, or TV attractive, TV cute, TV passable, and TV ugly. And he said, wait, what? She's like, yeah, this is the category that everyone falls into. And, um, you know, whatever you are in real life, you, you go one layer down and that's what you are on TV. And, um, 
<laughs> and he's like, well, then what, what am I? And she's like, well, you're passable in real life. So on TV, you're TV ugly. Um, okay. This, maybe this story isn't true, but I hope it is because I've told it to a couple of people. But anyway, <laughs> he then named his production company, TV Ugly Productions, which I'm just. I love, love that. Love it. Yeah, you claim that, reclaim that them words, fair play. And you know what? That TV executive also, kicking themselves because he's huge in community. He's so attractive. I'm wildly attracted to Jim Rash, so um, F off, executive. Mm. See, I couldn't cope with that now, you know, with the rejection of that. If somebody said something like that to me, I'd be like, oh, okay, sure, sure. Back in one minute, I'm just going to see that bus just going to throw myself right in front of it. And that'll be me. I couldn't. That's why I could never do your job. I forgot to um, do my research on you. Are you a performer there in Dublin? Um, what's your story? I am a, well, I, I work on radio. I work in um, newspapers. I work in, you know, you have to do everything. In podcast, obviously. Um, I do not work in um, acting because I could not take the, the hate, the, the, the blows. <laughs> but, I mean, you probably still get this a decent amount of it in, in everything that you're doing. You are so right. Why do we have to be able to do everything? I mean, I have a podcast with my friend Felicia Day um, where we undress shows such as Bridgerton and The Witcher and who knows what we'll do next. But I, it's so funny that you, you do have to do everything. It applies to acting too. Cause it's like, oh, I am now a professional level editor. I have the professional editing software I now have to make my own movies and my own, but that's the thing. It's like the great thing about having um, all the social media and YouTube at your fingertips is like, Oh yeah, you can be, you can create your own content. You can, you can be in charge of your own destiny, so to speak. But then the flip side is like, Oh my God, I have to be in charge of my own destiny. I don't, <laughs> I want to go to an audition. Someone just give me some lines to say. What happened to that? What exactly. happened to auditions and I book a job? But now you really do have to do everything in many fields. You have to still cover. Ooh, and awesome. you have to think of things. Whereas when, you know, 20 years ago, if you're an actor, you didn't have to think of the show. They just gave you a script. Now it's like, hi, create some content, create some TikToks, say, da, 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 um, improvise. And you're like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> exhausted i'm i mean during the pandemic was hilarious i just i'm haunted by a specific commercial i had audition i did it was for like a video game thing and they wanted like medieval cost they're like have fun you know use just some zoom backdrops if you want and i'm like obviously these people have seen my instagram and they know like i do lots of green screen videos and i do lots of wigs costumes songs whatever i know how to make content and so like they're not really just use some zoom background so like <laughs> of course i set up the green screen i spent a few days i i transcribed the music into a key that was better for my voice i made my own accompaniment i put costumes together i was riding a horse i did multiple characters this thing was brilliant it was a full-on mini movie and I am so I didn't even get a call back <gasps> the most work I've done ever on any audition and I'm like I, no I no, never again because you know what work smarter not harder and less work 
more work. I, I want to do less work because yes. you know, someone, the person I booked it was kind of half-assing it and just anyway. Um, oh, that's so-, so annoying. You're like, I'm really, they, they've looked at my socials. They know what I do. I'm going to give them that. And they're like, okay. And you just don't hear from them again. Yeah. And then ghosted. if you don't like being ghosted, don't become an actor because people think like, if you're out in the world doing regular job interviews, like a lot of times they, like if you, do, you send me your resume, well, somehow, I guess they don't say thank you, but like, if you do an interview, they say thank you. And, you know, we'll let you know once we've made up our mind. Does that still happen? Yeah. Like you'll get the rejection email, you know. Thank you. Unfortunately, on this occasion, we'll keep your CV on file. Yada, yada. God, I would kill for a rejection letter. I would kill <laughs> for it. Because it just, you set it off into the, the abyss and you never hear again. You don't know if they watched it. You don't know if it got lost in the emails. You don't know if the... the the we transfer work like you've no idea if the casting person ever saw it if they it just disappears and you never hear again so there is no sense of closure and you do have to give yourself that sense of closure mm-hmm. and um i recently saw kim fields who um has done some like major sitcom star she started her career on facts of life and she, apparently someone told her the same advice that I have been um, living by, which is like for, for every audition, give yourself a little goal that you can achieve because getting the job is out of your control. Um, you can do the best job of your life and they'll be like, oh my God, this was amazing. And you might not get it because of any number of factors like your age, your face, your hair, the shirt you were wearing, they... They cut the roll, whatever, you know? So if you give yourself a little goal, like I really, um, you know, like she mentioned in this interview, I just watched, like, I just really want to work on my memorization and be fully memorized. Or, um, you know, I just want to like have fun and make a fun character choice and, and see if I can do that. You know, just something that you, Mm. And afterwards, you can be like, did I do that? Like, yeah, I I did that really well. Or like, oh, I didn't achieve that goal, so I'm going to keep working on it. And so it, I don't know, gives you, gives yourself, your brain something to latch on to as far as like tangible in a way. Yeah. I suppose if you hang, if you put all your hopes on every audition, you're, then every time you have to get back up and do another one, you're just not going to get, have the energy because you're still waiting on three auditions ago. And you haven't heard. Yeah. yeah. And also like people want to hire the person that doesn't care. It's kind of like the vibes, the energy you're putting out of desperation. They never want to hire that. They always want to hire the person who's not available. It's like so. dating. You're like, this person yeah. who doesn't pay you any attention. You're like, please love me. Coaching <laughs> is a thousand percent dating. On that case, I have such a disastrous love life. I don't think I could take also a disastrous acting career if I decided to take that on. Too much ghosting going on for me. That's why Tinder is stressful because you're like, oh my God, I'm a casting director right now. (laughs) I am just going through headshots, deciding who I'm going to go have a first date slash first audition with. It's, It's a nightmare. What do they teach you in when you went to UCLA? But what did they teach you about? auditions do they teach that idea that you have to um be prepared for that or are they kind of like everything will be great everything's gonna be fantastic it's interesting because 
at the time there was no, well, in the theater department, there wasn't like a real focus on auditioning. The focus was on the work and the classics and, mm-hmm. you know, um, there wasn't, there should have been an audition class, like what to expect, like theater audition versus like, you need to be memorized for theater audition for TV audition. You hold the paper and you're kind of like, you're allowed to glance down and pick up your lines if you need to. Not so much anymore. Now that it's all self tapes, we like, they, they don't say it, but they expect you to be memorized versus a commercial audition. I had, I had a, a crazy ass movement class. That was the closest thing that prepared me for auditions. Cause it was just like, you would be like, tell me a story about the moon and the stars in a foreign language, not of this world. Go. And you're just like, ah, and like, that's kind of the closest thing to a commercial audition, which can be like, here, do this. And you have to be okay. Just diving in. Um, but I did have a musical theater class in the music department that was very focused on auditions and building up your repertoire for your audition book and um, I did win the Carol Burnett Award. Carol Burnett, for those of you who don't know, uh, she was Miss Hannigan. I was just going to say, she's Miss Hannigan. <laughs> Annie, she had her own variety show. I get nervous when I mention her because people are like, who's that? Um, she's huge. She's a comedy legend. And um, she went to UCLA. And she has the story of, like, she was at a party and met a producer, and they said, I'm going to give you money to go to New York to work on your dreams. And you just have to pay it forward one day. Mm. And by paying it for, she created this scholarship competition that happened every year at UCLA and gave money to, and paid to help pay for your school. So she paid it forward and I won. I'm a winner, baby. <laughs> uh, that was a long ass answer. Sorry. No, I love it. I love it. And also, she was Miss Hannigan. What a legend. You know, we've all watched Annie from kids. Up. An Oscar for that performance. She's yes. She's, she's like the first drunk I think I saw on TV, you know, and she's just brilliant oh, at it. She know how to be drunk so well. It's so funny. She is brilliant at it. Great. And you won her award. So did you come out of college being like, I am an award winner. Move along, people. I'm coming into the, star, the limelight. Again, I did have a slightly step <laughs> Of, of confidence um which may have been good because I, like yeah. it's not like there was lots of parts for me um so yeah I think it was good that I had that what was your first um part then was it commercial was it movies tv what was it first um well the summer before I transferred to UCLA I was doing extra work to get my SAG card and um I was an extra in the movie Boogie Nights and then they gave us, they gave me a line. Me and people in my local group, we all had a little line. And I said, don't say anything because they're going to have to put us in the union. But if we say something, they'll take it away. So we didn't say anything. And then after the fact, I called the union. And uh, that's how I got into SAG. So that's technically my first on-camera speaking role was in the movie Boogie Nights. But my first big job out of college was a Pepsi commercial and then I went on tour with Grace Doss Musical. I lived in Munich. Um, i trying to think of what another... What was my first TV job? My first TV job, I think, was an episode of Judging Amy. Mm-hmm. And the second job I booked was Unpopular. I remember that because I was a big fan of the show. And my schoolmate, Chris Gorham, 
who's been in a ton of things. He he was on that show, so I was excited. And it was uh, that was Ryan Murphy's first show that he created. Oh, that's so cool to be on a Ryan Murphy show because you know he is now like his name opens doors to even say that, oh, like you know, like American Horror Story, Glee. Obviously, everything he does is just like fantastically weird but brilliant. Well, I did an episode of American Horror Stories last year. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping I get to be in the, in the troop of players that are just in all of his things. Yeah. You're like, I've been, in, I've been in two now, Ryan. So what's next? What are you on to next? I want to come back. Bring me back. Bring me back and bring me to something that Gaga is in at the same time. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll take that. <laughs> oh, it must be so exciting getting into a show that you're a fan of, though. Like, you liked Popular. To know, to, first of all, to do the audition and then to be like, they actually have chosen me. Amazing. Yeah, I, I feel like, do I have a party at my house to watch? I probably do. <laughs> I love it. Horror stories. Like, I I do watch um, American Horror Stories. My favorite season is Coven, obviously. Horror, wait, American Horror Story. Sorry, Coven. Um, uh, so I was excited to uh, get to work on Horror Stories. Also, because I have I have friends that work on the crew there, it was one of the first times I got to work with one of my friends. Like we've all, we've been working in the industry together forever, and we've never like crossed paths. She's a customer, so it was it was cool to get to to do that one. The Horror House, the American Horror House from season one of Horror Story. Mm. You got to go there and be like, yeah, it's iconic. It's haunted. <laughs> Yeah, well, it does look incredibly creepy. And I know it's meant to look that way, but it just looks like the kind of place that, yeah. Oh, it is. No, it's creepy. You're like, I'll film outside. Yeah, just here. Yeah. <laughs> and so come here, obviously, everyone knows you from Buffy and Angel. When did, how did that come about? How did that go? Where was that in your career then? Um, that was kind of my first, like, big break, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been on Buffy in a smaller role as a vampire and they had a thing. If your face was covered with prosthetics, you could come back as a different character. So I kept auditioning. Uh, they brought me in for angel. I auditioned for the, the karaoke lizard demon. What a beautiful thing to audition for. Uh, he ended up booking that part. Um, and I think I had a couple other auditions for Buffy and Angel before I booked that one. But I'd actually met the cast. The way I got my first audition was I met the casting associate at, at a casting workshop where you go and just do a, a pretend audition in front of them. And that's kind of how they'll go and find like new actors that are just starting out or people that do co-stars, which is the lower level before you get to guest star and then series regular. Mm. Um, so anyway, so I'm always, uh, Lonnie Harriman, that's who the associate was at the time. She, so I have her to credit and this little workshop that I was going to at the women's club of, of Hollywood. And it was at the time it was mostly like middle-aged and older people at this little workshop thing. So I really <laughs> stuck out and I had so much fun and it was like, a weird thing to be going to but a lot of my first tv jobs came out of that out of that little workshop 
that was a sign you were meant to go to and all those other old people who were just there just to learn a little bit. You're like, haha, I've stolen the roles. Yeah. Also like old people. Yeah. They were, I should say they were, most of the people are, are my age now. That <laughs> I was imagining these 80 year olds are like, no, they were just 32. <laughs> now, now, uh, I'm intrigued by the Buffy uh, vampire makeup so that you did that first. Because I rewatched Buffy during lockdown because, you know, all we had to do was watch TV. So I watched it from start to finish. And for 1990-ish, the, the prosthetics were pretty good, considering now they can do a lot with like CGI and make you look like, an, you know, whatever. It's also very time consuming because if you had to go back and forth, like mm. once they turn you into a vampire, like it's hard to put you back. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to take it off as well. So they really had to plan if there's stuff of them before. And you got to film both mm-hmm. before and after the vampire makeup before that. And if you forgot something, then you were screwed because then you had to go back. So it was, it, it was a, um, it was one of the things that you, you know, you'd be sitting around waiting in your trailer because that, that part did take time to, to put that makeup on. Also, sometimes I would watch and be like, we're not going to notice. Just slap it on there. Why are you putting so much glue on there? Just slap it on there. <laughs> You're like, he's only, in the, he's only on screen for 30 seconds. Just let me hold it with my hand. <laughs> if you are claustrophobic, I would not recommend uh, doing that, that type of prosthetic work. Oh, really? It, you really do feel trapped even with just that much. So like I've been obsessively watching um, all the new Star Trek shows lately and uh, the character Saru, who has like a, it's, uh, what's his name, who did that Hush episode of Buffy, um, Doug, what's his name? He does all of the like famous sort of um, prosthetic work characters. He was this guy in, in <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth, you know what I'm talking about? I just love how you couldn't think of it there and you're just sitting here for people could see you. It looks like you're like, hello. <laughs> uh, anyway. So like I don't know how he does it because his whole entire face and head is in that thing. I don't know if I could do that. And he's got contact lenses. Which yeah. was, that was the worst part for me. But um yeah, it's very weird. You were like delighted then when Andrew was not a vampire, I take it. Oh, so God, you didn't okay. have to do that. Yeah, no, it's it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> Sitting in that giant vampire face. Think yeah, it's just- you just feel trapped like it just it's like you're stuck in a champagne problems champagne. <laughs> well at least when Andrew came along and you got to play him he was you know I was gonna say normal semi-normal you didn't have to be like James Masters you had to spike had it for seven seasons with you know that kind of stuff on so when they said Andrew did what kind of you know input did they tell you about Andrew was it meant to be like a one episode was it meant to be three that turns into 20 or was it did they have a goal in mind from the start well, it was, um, and I have not had this since, which was a 10 episode guarantee. Mm. Just like, doesn't happen anymore. Wow. They just like, sort of dangle like, might be recurring. Um, so, and I, I've told this story a million times, so I'll tell you as well. Um, the part, the part was written for the actor who played Tucker on the series and he wasn't available so when I auditioned, the side, the, the material still said Tucker on it, and then they changed the name, obviously, um, and made the character just his brother. And basically, they were trying to bring back three people who had already been on 
appeared on the show before because mm. um, the other two guys had. And Tucker was initially written as the leader of the group. And that was definitely present in the audition scene. But I kind of was like, well, I'm obviously not a leader. And I just kind of leaned into playing against type, I guess. Mm. And I guess that helped the comedy along. And then they changed it. So I wasn't they're like, he's great. Let's just change it so that he's not in charge. And then <laughs> he does bring the comedy because obviously it's not a show that's, you know, renowned for being funny. I suppose it's not a comedy show, but, you know, Spike brings a lot of the comedy in the start first early seasons. And then the last couple of seasons, it's definitely Andrew, especially when he gets taken hostage and he lives with the gang, you know, in the house. It's very much like this. All the world is ending, but he's like, ah, really funny. And you're like, OK, this is the light entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I guess the show is a, it's, it's technically a one hour drama, but it, it had these comedic elements. And it's interesting because so much of the TV work I've done has been I I don't end up on a lot of like actual comedy like straight up comedies I end up on a drama being comic relief mm. um, maybe it's a different skill set um, maybe I'm not that funny <laughs> um, but the, it was interesting because you know we were only supposed to do those 10 episodes and then they kept going and then from that point we were always you always would flip to the your last the last page where your character name appeared to see if like if you died or not <laughs> So the threat of perishing was always there, which was not fun. But I was uh, I I was excited to get to survive and, and make it to to you know be in the house with the rest of the Scooby Gang. I did feel bad about killing Danny Strong's character, but you know what? He has he's had the last laugh because he is so wildly successful. Emmys, Writers Guild Awards. Um. You name it. He he just his show Dope Sick that he created just got fourteen Emmy nominations. So um he's doing fine. He's doing fine. Yeah. It's cool that I killed him on the show, it's fine. Well also if he gets too big for his boots, you can say, Dude, I killed you. I killed you. I you know, come on. You were laid splat on that giant thing on the floor, you know. With the, <laughs> I, I was it's funny because like when I started watching it again, you forget how much like you know, mumbo jumbo words that it's like when you watch any show, if you watch Harry Potter or anything like that, like only certain words make sense when you're watching it. So my friend was also watching it at the same time. We were like, oh, my God, the first and, you know, the immortal and all this. And just like if anyone read our text right now, we just I don't know what you're talking about. No, they're like, like ridiculous. You're just we send each other gifts and like. Um, stuff like that so when I text her um, to say I was talking to you she sent me back a gif of you and I was just like cracking myself laughing and I was just like if anyone just saw this because co- there was no context it just was like oh my god you'll never guess who I'm talking to and then she just sent me that back so if anyone hacks my phone <laughs> did, did people start watching it again during the pandemic yeah it was on over here it was and in the UK it was on all four so they put um, it was on TV but it was like maybe I don't know 10 p.m. at night or something and then they put the whole box set up on all four and then after that they put Angel on it as well so like people were like re-watching it and either watching along with TV or going on and streaming it I guess maybe that was like a time that was like an interesting time for people to re-watch stuff because there 
they couldn't make new episodes of TV shows. So they were, mm-hmm. everything, everyone was stuck with their back catalog of, of shows. Yeah. It's so interesting that so many people went back and watched it. I will, I can't watch myself. So I, I'm not going to, but. Um, so you haven't watched yourself on it. I have like, you know, like one, like I had a party for my big episode and people came and watched it and then I would watch it again. Well, sorry. You always watch the, an episode of yourself to see what your hair looks like and to hate yourself. <laughs> Um, and to hate all of your acting choices. And then you maybe watch it a second time if you have to put it on your reel. And then you're stuck mm-hmm. watching it over and over as you edit it. Now that I'm a professional editor. <laughs> edit all my own stuff. Um, yeah, nobody wants to. No, because you can't. You're stuck. You just do the thing and then someone else has to say in, in which version they choose and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And so since you can't change it, you're like, no, but I want to fix it. <laughs> You're like, why did I put my hand like that? Why didn't I, you know, stand yeah. a di- little bit different? Yeah, I, it's like when you see photographs of yourself and you're like, I really thought I looked cute that day. Yeah, it's a lot of that energy. So which yeah. clip did you put on your reel then from Buffy? Oh gosh, I don't even remember. It's not on my reel anymore because you can't, you can't keep stuff. It has to all be like within the last few years because you have to be representing what you currently are looking like so sadly it's not on there anymore well apart from the you don't have the frosted tips anymore that were very on trend in the 90s and would look weird now you still look the same oh how dare you thank you but no i don't but i um i do regret i would love to go back in time and tell me tell myself to not do my own hair color in season six (laughs) and then i also would like to go back in time and to season seven and say, don't pay professional to give yourself frosted tips. Just don't do the frosted tips. They were on trend though. Pacey had them in Dawson's Creek. Uh, yeah. You had them. And of course, Spike was bleached. So he looked, you know, you're kind of sitting looking at that gun. I could do a bit of, bit of blonde. Also, I was under the pressure, like, you know, I need to stand up. That, you know, I was like, oh, I got to be different. And so that's why oh, my hair was terrible. I was cutting my own hair when I first got cast. Um, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I need to stay blonde because these other two guys have brown hair. So this is a good way for me to stand out. Was it the, what episode was it that I was thinking of? You probably don't remember specific episodes because you don't watch them back. Oh, you had like, you had a few big monologues in the last kind of few episodes, didn't they? To kind of, for someone, they said 10 episodes, they suddenly started pushing you no. to the front. Well, I mean, the, the, the episode of Storyteller was not, never planned. Um so yeah, I kept the big, big monologues in that. Um, yeah, it was sort of a, a very unique experience of of a, of a side character getting their own episode of television. It's so mm. weird. Um, yeah, it was, it was a fun. It's fun to feel like because obviously I, you know, like all those people on the show, like they were such huge celebrities and they were in it. I don't think they could see, I'm assuming they did. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know what it was like to be like a normal person out in the world seeing them. So the, to go from a normal person, person out in the world into like, I'm part of the Buffy gang. Like I was obviously aware of what a big deal mm-hmm. that was. And I could see it from, both the outside and from what was happening while I was doing it. So it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. 
Yeah, it would be though. Cause if you think about it, it was by the time you joined, it was so big and you're coming in going, I have to be professional, but also like, I know all their, you know, they're on people magazine and I know, you know, they're in the gossip stuff and you're like, Oh my God, I only read about you last week. Well, you know, I'm working with people now. They're my friends. Uh, but also I, I'm aware prior to joining that, like, these are huge celebrities. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was interesting dynamic. Um, how does it, how did you, were you happy then when they decided when obviously the show ended, you're thinking that chapter of my life is over and then you got to do some angel stuff as well. Oh, that was a fun surprise. I think, I can't remember who it was, but I, I feel like it was Michelle Trachtenberg wasn't available and that's why I ended up on Angel. Because they wrote it for her and that she couldn't do it. Very different. Dawn or Andrew? Let's go. Okay, don't come make it. I I replaced someone from the get-go, so I'm I'm happy to be your second choice that replaces the first choice. When you see these, these are episodes that you're told you're definitely gonna be in. Boom. Extra ones, great. Happy to do it. Yeah. I don't remember anything about Angel or my experience on Angel. I cannot remember it. I don't know why. I, I always find it really funny because a lot of actors stay the same because you have so many jobs and you have so much going on. And obviously it's 20 years ago, but like, you know, the obsessives like me will be like, so in season three, episode five, blah, 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 you know, and you're like, was I in that one? <laughs> I think it's like most, since most actors don't watch themselves on the show. Yeah. Well, and here's the main reason you can't watch, like even why like I don't watch the seasons I wasn't in is, is because like, You've um, seen behind the curtain. You've seen how the sausage is made and you can't lose yourself in, in the, the pretend of, of the show. You know, like when you're watching a show, like these are your friends, you're like, you're just, you're swept away in the, this fictional reality. And it's really hard to lose yourself when you know the people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think most people are like, look at everyone else on the show is doing real acting, but I'm not. Look at me. I'm just like, what am I doing? And then someone else watches like, no, you're doing the same acting as everyone else. But it's because you've seen, you, you've seen too much. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like I'm the one who looks out of place, but no, it's not like that. Because when you're like the viewers, we just like love it. We love, we see it as a whole, as a group, but you're yeah. looking and you see you. You can see it as a whole. You can see it as, um, like this world that actually exists while you're watching it this really is happening you know yeah and it's still like so big now like because like I follow a lot of you know the cast on Instagram and stuff and there's lots of comic cons and stuff that different characters go to and you're like this is still going like people are still obviously as I said I rewatch during the pandemic so I'd say a lot of people are doing that too but like 20 years on like people still quote it to you you know that's mental it is it is weird yeah, like, I, I just, and I'm trying to think, like, what's my equivalent of that? Being able to quote something back to someone. Uh, oh, well, for me, that would be like, he was big adventure. I can quote that whole movie. Um, what, did I, what else did I watch that I was just like, I don't know, maybe I don't watch stuff on repeat. I'm trying to think of a show that I would that I've watched multiple times. For me, like I've watched uh, that. I've so watched Buffy. I love New Girl because I can stick on an episode of that or Modern Family like any time. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be picked out of a specific one. Oh wow! I did enjoy New Girl. 
don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a show that I would like. That's weird. I don't have a show. Oh, okay. I take it all back. I take it all back. <laughs> the shows, there's two shows that I've watched every episode repeatedly. And that would be French and Saunders and Abfab. Two top-notch quality. Yeah, they're good ones. You would have let yourself down if you came off this call and you're like, I didn't even mention them. I have watched every, and now I watch, there's like an AbFab account I follow on TikTok. And like, I just sit there for hours watching clips. Tom, <laughs> you could go watch the whole episode. Um, and I will say that um, in playing Tilda Swinton in this Tilda Swinton play, um, Obviously, I watched a lot of Tilda Swinton stuff, but yeah. it's a good a good portion of the version I'm doing of her is a combination of Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins, and then both Patsy and Eddie from AbFab all roll it into one. I'm so intrigued by this Tilda play because I've seen you dress as her, uh, on, you know, on your social media, and it's hilarious. And I'm like, how does this? go into a play? Like, how does this work? How does it become a comedy? It, um, the way it works is that it's essentially, it uses the same setup of, of Mary Poppins, where this, where Tilda kind of floats into this, this sad gay man's life and, um, sort of shows him everything that's going on in his life. And she pulls things out of her magic bag. And, uh, but all the re- I mean, Tilda is such an interesting character in real life. It, it was the right, I didn't write it, but my friend Byron who wrote it and who's in it with me, like just sort of imagined what, a, what, what is the, the day-to-day life of Tilda Swinton? What, what is the world she exists in? Um, you know, and like, uh, you know, someone will say to her like, oh, who are you? Tilda Swinton, coffee table in a past life. It's me, Hilda Swinton, part sun, part moon, part perfume sample, free with purchase from Harvey Nicks. Um, And so, and also, like, what is Tilda Swinton's accent? We don't know. In real life, she has kind of a posh uh, London accent. I think she went to private school there. But she's from Scotland, so a little bit of Scottish creeps in every once Mm -hmm. in a while. But then in every movie, she has a different accent, so... No one really knows what she sounds like. So it, maybe it's okay that I don't have a truly authentic accent that I'm doing for the show. Um, well, the transformation is incredible. You fairly, you put, it's not just like, I'll slap a wig on and put a bit of lippy. You're like, I become her. Um, I just watched this movie Persuasion on Netflix starring Dakota Johnson and Henry Golding and... I can't remember who else, but it's a um, just a modern adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, right? It's a persuasion? I think so. Anyway, it's Jane Austen. Uh, and I will say that I was watching her thinking, oh, she's Dakota Johnson, her accent, she's American, and her accent, her accent was decent in this movie, and then I thought to myself, my accent is at least this good or better. Therefore, maybe I could live my dream of moving to the to the UK so I could be on television there. I don't know. 
Um, I can see you on one of on one of the soaps. They, one of the soaps over there, walking in, pushing open the pub door, and just being like, really thick British accent, just being like, I'm here. Could I? Could you I? Could do it. You have to know how to order a pint because that's what they'll have to order if you're in a British pub. Like you're gonna have to do that. Oi, mate, pint done. Like, done. Good. Yeah, you could be <laughs> EastEnders with that accent. So when you go to Scotland, watch an episode of EastEnders. That'll be you. Um, the moose is loose about the seas. That's how you get into the Scottish accent. Um, the other one is um, say space ghetto, and it sounds like oh, yeah. Spice Girls. Space ghettos. I love. I love the space ghettos. <laughs> oh, that one from Michelle Visage as well. Um, yeah, I wish I could do a good Irish accent. I will say. Oh, in so in Lottie Platchett, I'm curious to see how this goes mm-hmm. over. Um. So Lottie Pache, uh, it's described as kind of a, um, a Lizzie Borden. We have to talk about the Lizzie Borden-ness, right? Did we? Yeah, of course. Yeah. True crime. Okay. Everyone's obsessed. So. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's sort of like a Lizzie Borden tale as if, but like, but like if the, the Muppets were doing a production of The Crucible as directed by John Waters is how <laughs> I like to describe it. Um, but there's a character, <laughs> there's the character of Molly the Irish maid in the show because in the 1870s, uh, in America, you know, there had been a big, like, a lot of the immigrants were Irish and like, it's the racism yeah. in America on many levels at that time, but, but like the racism against Irish people was huge. Yeah. And so we have many, there are many jokes where the awful people in the show say there's just like running, there's a running joke about just like they constantly make fun of Molly, the Irish maid. And my friend Tom, who's playing her is doing an over the top, terrible Irish accent. Um, I'm curious to see if, if I'm, I wonder if would, would an Irish person such as yourself be in on the joke and be able to enjoy it? Like, and see is like self-deprecating or would yeah. it be wildly offensive, offensive we don't really get offended we're like we're so used to having people taking the piss out of us and we in ireland the way that you know somebody likes you is if they slag you off so if they're if they mm. mock you a bit that means they like you so we're used to like people shillelagh diddly diddly do you know we're well used to it okay because that's the, the evil character in our show does almost what you just did <laughs> my Irish maid but I won't and I don't want to ruin it but like you know in a way she does get to have her um, come up and some revenge to the people who treated her so poorly but also the whole thing is a satire and using like how women were treated back then to show how women are being treated today how Irish people were being treated you know to how they still face um, being made fun of, like you said. So, um, so I'm curious to see how that goes over. And also, how will that go over to a Scottish accent? Will they, or Scottish audience? Like, will they think it's hilarious? Because do Scottish people widely make fun of Irish people? Is there, a, um, a, a healthy, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, banter. Yeah. Or healthy. Yeah. Sort of- we get you know, on very well with the Scottish because we kind of, 
in ways we kind of join together and like mock the English very, very much uh, so, you know, yeah. so we'll kind of join together like that, except for when we're playing rugby against each other. There's a bit of, you know, rivalry then, but we're very similar. Lots of parts of Ireland, lots of parts of Scotland. People can't understand each other. So, you know, and they're kind of like us. They like to, you know, have fun. They don't take themselves seriously. They're kind of, they're very independent. You know, they're kind of, you know, we're not English and we're like, we're not English. So, you know. And you left out their, their common, the common, they both have a similar relationship with booze. Just Very like, much so. Yeah. That's, that's not cool. I'm sorry. That's, that's. No, it's it. totally true. I've been to Glasgow and Edinburgh yeah. and it's very true. In my experience, when in Scotland, uh, like the, when you try to leave the like pub after a night of shows, you try to leave before 2 a.m. They are offended. Mm. Where yeah. are you going? Have another drink. Like, they really push the drink on you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they'll buy it for you as well. It's not like they're expecting you to stay and buy it. They're like, no, I'll buy the next round. Let me. Yeah. It's very much, I don't know, it's ingrained in our, it's our, we call it hospitality. I'm sure oh. other countries have other words for it, but um, that's what we call it. Um, forced, forced group drinking. Mm-hmm. I, find that um the 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 beer the beer is fine but the the way um you folks measure your uh hard your hard alcohol the queen's pour is not cool because in america (laughs) you know a drink is maybe drinks are cheaper over there but in america like a drink like a vodka soda is between twelve and fifteen dollars these days at a bar, right? Yeah. And so when they are doing, when they're pouring your like, they put in the ice, and then like you want to see the vodka like go up to there, and then like psh, splash of soda, right? But the measuring cup, <laughs> goddamn measuring cup that that they pull out when you're in the UK, and like. Or like they put it under the upside down bottle and go click click, and it just has that exact measured pour. So you, you know you really do have to order a double there if you want yeah. to any the, sort of. Advice. The Irish portion sizes are like an English double, so that's what we'd be. So you really? probably get yeah, you get it that much vodka in your cup, and then the the and like Irish people when you're growing up, uh, it's very funny if you ask for a dash or like the bit of you know soda or whatever, and they're like they're literally like. And you're like, oh, it tastes entirely of vodka. Yeah, that's perfect. That's that's exactly it when you're younger. Now I'm like, I can't have a hangover tomorrow. Give me all of the water. What if, what if this, because that, that's that's how it works in America with hard alcohol. So maybe that is, maybe we have the Irish um, to credit for that. Yeah. The, you know, the, the large amount of... Um, People immigrated to America from Ireland and, and people with Irish heritage. That it just it's ingrained in the culture and, the, and it seeped its way into keeping them down in the you know cleaning the houses. They needed a few drinks, so they had to pour the biggest size as possible. They're like, I have to clean the kitchen now. Oh, drink, drink, drink. Do you, also, do you, sometimes okay. I was watching. What am I watching? I do the I I'm a, I I do some work with Acorn TV, which takes. Shows from UK, Ireland, and beyond, mm. Australia, uh, etc. 
uh, English, uh, English speaking programming that's not American and they bring okay. it to America. Right. And so I was watching, what was the show I was watching? Harry Wild, it's got Jane Seymour in it. Oh yeah, that's a, that was filmed over here. Jane Seymour and Amy Huberman. Um, what, who else is in it? There's a few. That was only filmed here like last year during the pandemic. And I was watching. It was. It wasn't one of the main people. It was just like an Irish actor. And I was like, is that is that a, is that American or is that Irish? Like I went into this vortex. I couldn't tell the difference. And then it sort of made me realize that. American accent is is the, so many the, so much of the pronunciation that we do I think does stem from the Irish accents. I feel like American accent is closer to Irish than it is to an English accent. Yeah, actually, I think did I see a video? Did you do a Harry Wild video doing an Irish accent actually on your TikTok? I think did you do one? Did I? I think you did like a little phrase or something, and I remember being like, "Oh, that's not bad." Um, oh no, it was it was. I think it was that show Blood. Is that an Irish show? Yeah. Um, yeah. The guy, it's the guy from... Line of Duty. Uh, Line of Duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did a terrible accent in that. <laughs> um, and then I apologized for it. <laughs> Don't worry. It's very it's it's so hard to do an Irish accent because we have so many. That Jamie Dornan, who is from Ireland, was in a movie last year with Emily Blunt and called Wild Mountain Time. And the ad came on. It was It was made for an American audience, but it was very much shillelagh Irish accent and everybody in Ireland gave him such a hard time about it because he's like you're from here you should know how to do this accent wait now is he from Ireland or from Northern Ireland he's from Northern Ireland yeah and do you um because I watched The Fall obsessively yeah oh god I'd let him kill me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and oh my god, he's so dreamy. I got to meet him. I was in the movie Barb and Star. I got cut out of it. Ah! But I got to spend two weeks in Mexico, and he—I got to hang out with him a bit. And oh, dreamy, dreamy McDreamboat, just mm-hmm. and very sweet and kind, and actually very funny in that movie. Like you didn't think he was going to be funny, and he's hilarious, and he sings a song. Have you seen this movie? I seen it. Yeah. Cause I actually saw that you were in it and uh, when I was looking at what else you'd been in and I was like, I don't remember. And I can't believe they cut you out. Yeah, no, it's fine. I was, I had a, such a weird part and that movie is so weird. Mm. Just the, the part I had was, I was like, I just would stare at the ca- camera and say, I see it. And like no one else in the whole movie is looking into the lens of the camera. So it was very weird. And I had, a, and I'm friends with the, the director. We, I did like all, a bunch of his short films as he was coming out. And I was like, Josh, this is so weird. My feelings will not be hurt if you have to cut me because I realized this is something that will be the first thing to go for time. And because it's so weird. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, it's fine. There's no way. <laughs> My feelings won't be hurt. But um, I was going to ask you. So in you say, when you was like, oh, well, Jamie Dornan's, Irish and he couldn't even do it and we made fun of him what is um because in my mind like you really have like people would if you if you confuse if someone if you say how do I, I want to I don't want to get in trouble so like if I if someone says like Irish explain it to me like if, if so like you, if someone in Northern Ireland and you call them Irish will they be offended is it that's what I'm trying to get at 
Yeah, not really. There's like very small pockets, you know, who are like, obviously they're worldwide considered British. But when you live in Ireland, we consider them Irish and a large proportion of them would consider themselves Irish too. They might have British passports or whatever, but they would consider them like Jamie Dornan considers himself Irish. He would be, you know, in interviews like Rory McIlroy, the golfer would be the same. They'd say like they're born in Northern Ireland, very proud of it they would consider themselves Irish as a, as a whole island, if you get me. Um, got it, got it. So there, you'd be more likely to offend someone from the North by calling them British or English. If you call them English, you know what? You could probably get away with British. English, most offensive. <laughs> most offensive on this island. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've been trying to, like, please go back. When you listen back to this, feel free to delete anything if I... You've been I, totally oh. right. Yeah, you've been totally right. Because I, when I did my first show, my sol- first sh- solo show in Scotland, in, in Edinburgh, I said, it was in rehearsal, and one of my lines was like, okay, I won't, what did I say? I won't, um, I won't bore you with my uh, British accent, but I will, I won't do my terrible British accent, but I will do my terrible Scottish accent. And my producer was like, eh, Scotland is part of Britain. And I was like, what? Explain it to me because in America, people misuse it. When they mean to say English, they'll say British and they mm-hmm. think it goes, you know what I'm saying? They, yeah. They think it's mutually exclusive. So we, we all, we think in America, we don't think that Scottish is a British accent because we think British just means English. So when like in a breakdown for act for an acting role, it'll say like, Oh, do a British accent. I will now have contact. I'm like, do you, do you, do you specifically mean, do you mean English? Because if you say British, that means I could do any number of English accents. I could do Northern, I could do Yorkshire. I could do any Scottish accent. I could do Northern Irish. Hmm. And it's like, if they want, they're like, Oh no, don't do a Scottish accent. Like (laughs) you're asking for, so anyway, just know that we are wildly miseducated in, in America about that whole situation. I try to like make sure now. Oh, and, and so the, the long story was that I, I made sure to not make that mistake when I was rehearsing the show after she noted me about that. And then in the taping of it and the live show, I accidentally said that because I, I got nervous and I wasn't thinking right. So, but I would have thought that would have went down well because the Scottish are very like, we're not, English they're kind of like they wouldn't they'd call themselves Scottish before they'd call themselves British so that's true I think they would have been quite happy with that joke this was like in 2011 so maybe they were still a little more because now obviously obviously the vibe is like um can we just be our own country now because we want to go back we want to go back to the EU yeah exactly they're like Um, hi we'll be on our own please thank you um anyway so thank you for helping me and educating me and now we've educated others other american listeners thank you well look you're you're very well educated you do know and the fact that you don't like um try and like correct i had an american once um when i I lived in san diego when i was younger and he had an argument with me over ireland being in the uk and i was like he was like we'll just have to agree to disagree and i said no i live there i think i know Oh my God! <laughs> These Republicans in America, this mi- misinformation that they're spreading. 
I'm telling you. But you look, you're very well educated. The Scots will be very happy to have you because you do understand it, which is amazing. And your play sounds brilliant. So it's about Lizzie Borden. Lottie, Lottie, Lottie Platchett. Lottie Platchett. And I have to ask, I saw that one of my faves starred as Lottie in the, the L.A. I think it was in L.A. Oh. Kirsten Bangs Nance from Criminal Minds. Do you watch that channel? Yes, obsessive. My other obsessive show. Oh God, I've, I've really come across as a TV obsessive. I love SVU okay. and All Criminal I, Minds. I obsessively watch British and European murder shows. So yeah. love a good murder show. Yeah, so I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, Kirsten and I met like I think the year before she booked Criminal Minds. We were doing a play in a 60-seat theater here in Los Angeles. It was called um, The Book of Liz, and it's, it was written by David and Amy Sedaris, and it had been off-Broadway, I think. And we were the first theater to do it in Los Angeles, and I think Kirsten came in as a replacement for one of the roles. Anyway, we shared a dressing room about this big, and... <laughs> It was tiny. It was so hot. The air conditioning would break every single day. And like, we're doing comedy. People don't laugh when it gets hot in a theater in Los Angeles. It was insane. Like the tall, a six foot tall man, like sat putting his makeup on underneath a stairway. Like we, Kirsten and I have been in the theatrical trenches together doing and doing weird comedy stuff in LA. And she's one of the most magical people an amazing actor. She um, she came on board to play Lottie here in L.A. and then was on board for The Fringe. But then Criminal Minds came back mm. and put a damper on that situation. But our friend um, uh, Lauren Lopez is uh, uh, stepping into the role. And she's hilarious and great and... Um, I'm just sad for you because if it would have been Kirsten, you would have got to talk to Kirsten. She's she's better than me. She Sorry, but I got to talk to Andrew from Buffy. This is a big deal for me, okay? I'll, so I'll get my Criminal Minds Day someday. Matthew Gray. No, I apologize that you didn't get to talk to Kirsten. No, don't be silly. Hello. I jumped on the email the minute it came through about you. I was like, hi, yes, please. Thanks. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I'm delighted. I'll tell her, I'll tell her that, um, you know, if she does press for the new season of Criminal Minds, that she should talk to you. Yeah. Love that. I'm just obsessed with Criminal Minds. And I think every single time I'm walking around and watching them, I see things happening in real life. I'm like, he is an unsub. He's a 42-year-old Caucasian. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a psycho. Why don't I watch? Okay, it's so funny. Like, I will watch Line of Duty. I watch any of these other crime shows that are not set in America, but I don't watch the American ones. What's wrong with I think it's because I like seeing the scenery of a place that I don't, of the, you know, I wish I was at. And, it, and it's raining in it. Raining, it's snowing. Raining. Beautiful scene. There's lush gardens. There's London, you know, London City. I miss London or whatever. Uh, the accents. Uh, maybe that's it. Yeah. And also, there's no chance of me getting on one of those shows so I can relax and yes. watch. Them. Whereas Criminal Minds, I'm like, Ugh, why am I not in this episode? You know? <laughs> and you see someone you know, you're like, oh, how did he get that part? He's terrible. I'd be much yeah. better. All my friends have been on the show. On Colonel Minds, and I've yet, I never got to be on it. So, I'm, well, I'm, there's, it's back it's for hot. 10 episodes now. So, this is yeah. your time to shine. <laughs> so, when are you coming to Scotland? Then, when does the, your show kick off? So, if anyone wants to go see it, 
Um, so I'll be there. The whole fringe, which is, I think, technically, I mean, previews start on the 3rd or 4th of August. So I'm getting to town. I'm getting to Edinburgh on the 1st, but I'm going to head up to, I'm going to head out to London on the, um, on the, uh, the 25th. So I'll be in London for a week leading up to that. Um, and then I'll pop up to Scotland and then, um, yeah, I'll be there the whole month. I think it ends August 27th, maybe. Yeah. So you can, you have the whole, if anyone's nearby, you got the whole month to see me. And also if there's anybody with connections to like a mid-size, maybe like a 300 seat theater in, in Dublin. Um, we'd love to bring um, Tilda over yes. to see to, to do a show for you. So if anybody out there wants to bring us over, let me know. So I'll put the word out. I'm putting the word out. As soon as I hang up here, I'm going to be like, okay, guys, we need the following. Okay? You can have our national stadium. You can have our football ground. Yes. Whatever you need. Tilda is, Tilda is the national stadium. <laughs> I need to see what Tilda thinks of Dublin, you see. So she'll have to come here so that we can have her Irish reactions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I need that. I need that series to happen. Oh, I edited myself. Oh, no. See, maybe maybe you'll get the star in, in Criminal Minds. You'll have so much money, you can hire an editor. That's This is true. This, yeah. this, I'm putting that on the vision board as well. Yeah, we'll manifest this. Criminal Minds episodes, uh, a soap in London. You're going to be in EastEnders. And then the big, massive stadium in Dublin. Boom. Great. Great. I'm into it. I can see it. Then you have to invite me to your like launch party so that I can be like, okay, I helped him manifest this. Yes, yes. No, you'll be invited. Drinks on me when it happens. <laughs> oh, well then, if this is on record, you all heard it, people. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <Woo>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, it's been so nice talking to you. I've just realized I've kept you very, very long time. But Oh, no, I, I don't mind at all. You're so kind. I hope you have a great time when you're over in the UK and go for those soap auditions. I'm telling you, you can do it. You can do the okay. British accent, the English I, accent. You've given me the confidence. I think I can do it. Yeah. And you're stunning. So just walk in oh, there. You're so sweet. Right back at the oh, um, my. Thanks for having me on your show. No worries. All right, my yeah. lovely. Thank you Bye. so much. And I hopefully will see you in Dublin someday. Okay. Yes, for sure. Okay. You- Have a great day. Bye. 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 How much fun was Tom? And honestly, like that was so much crack. And it was such a really fun chat to end the series on for me. Like, it, you know, fangirling with Buffy, but also like hearing so much about his life and so much like, you know, he knows so many people. He's done so many things like he's been in commercials, TV, movies, and does a lot of his own stage work, like and his content on TikTok and Instagram. If you don't follow him, go follow him. Tom Lank or Tommy Lanky is in some of them. He's on Twitter as well. He dresses up. We didn't even get to talk about it, but he dresses up as celebrities on the red carpet. So he he finds items around his house and recreates them. And he made Sarah Jessica Parker out of pasta. It Look, it'll make sense when you see it. But he's done like Kirsten Stewart and stuff. Honestly, go and have a look. And obviously you heard us there talking about the play. 
So the reason he's coming over to Scotland is for this play that he's doing at the moment, which is called Lottie Platchett Took a Hatchet. And it's based on this real life true crime murder back from like the 1800s of this woman called uh, Lizzie Borden. So Lizzie Borden um, from like yeah 1800s and it's an incredibly camp. Um, it's, you know, it's all about this w- a woman, Lottie, who is accused of, stands accused of killing her dad and her stepmother with a hatchet. And it's all about, could she actually have done this? So obviously it's like, you know, it's a, it's a camp comedy version of a real life thing. So don't be going expecting the, tr- so true crime friends, do not be expecting to see a dramatic experience, but it looks absolutely gas crack. Um, so if you are around the Fringe Festival or if you're up in Scotland, it is going to be in the Assembly Roxy, um, venue 139 it's on from the 4th to 27th of August and it's about an hour long so it's on at 25 to 9 like an hour look sure what are you doing like go on a Tuesday Wednesday make it a date night have a great owl crack I would definitely recommend it I can't wait he brings either that or Tilda over to Dublin so I can actually go see it and you've heard there he'll be buying the drinks so that's fantastic um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you all got something from it, whether it's you're an American Horror Stories fan or Buffy or, you know, any of the other stuff he talked about. Um, I just loved hearing all about, like, you know, uh, Jim and Kirsten, all his friends, the different people that, you know, he knows around Hollywood and also how he's such a normal upbringing kind of, you know, made it his own, you know, to be in this business, in the business that he is in. But that wraps it up for a season of Tis Yourself. This is the end of season three. And if you've been with us along for all the episodes, thank you so much. If you're just joined and you feel like, you know, you've enjoyed this, go back and scroll back and see if there's an episode for you. Um, obviously, if you can, I'd love a rating or a view um, left there. That would be so class, especially if you left your favourite episode. I suppose that, that'd be a nice way to write a review. Um, and of course, follow me. Instagram, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Come along, send me a message. I'll reply to you. Um, I'll appreciate any shares or anything like that. I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break now for a couple of months and then trying to get some brilliant guests lined up for season four. But uh, the episodes will all be still there. So make sure to catch up on them, add them to your playlist and I'll still be interacting on the Instagram and Twitter. So, you know, come along, come find me, we'll have a chat. But most of all, thank you so, so much to anyone who has listened to an episode. You just, you made a little Irish girl very happy and every time there's a day where it's more than, more than zero listens is a great day for me. So you have really made me happy today by just pressing play. So anyway, I'm going to let you go. This will be the last you hear from me for a little while, but I will hopefully, hopefully be back to you very, very soon. Slong of all.